hopefully it's not too often in your life, but you have a really huge, big, difficult decision to make. A decision that keeps you up night after night, fretting and fussing, because you want to make the right choice. You anguish over it. You struggle over it. Well, one of those decisions for me happened in 2005. Our family had been living for 12 years in Miami, and we moved to Tallahassee at the bishop's suggestion. We had to explain to our elementary and middle school age kids that we were moving 500 miles north to the south, darling. We moved because Clark was appointed to a church, St. Paul's United Methodist Church, and I was working on my dissertation, and we decided I'd finish that, and I'd get the family settled, and then I would look for a job, a ministerial-type job. Well, in short order, I found myself working 20 hours a week at the neighboring Presbyterian Church four blocks away from Clark. It was, it was working out great. And then, a few months into it, we realized that we had the opportunity, the possibility of working together on the same church staff. We'd never done that before. It's something we talked about in the future. We, we dreamt of, we'd imagined it. We never had anything real in front of us to look at, to ponder, to contemplate until 2005. And when that was right in front of us, in front of me, the possibility of working with my spouse, it petrified me. Uh, it was the hardest decision I've ever made in our marriage. I kid you not. I imagined the worst. I it was paralyzing fear. I thought that the odds were stacked against us. I thought that those giants of St. Paul's would not accept me and not, or, nor my ministry. I imagined that Clark and I would be swallowed up in all the details of that work. And I imagined we would fight and argue over things. And I imagine we would never stop talking about work. Oh, okay, that part was true. <laughs> but you get the point. I was absolutely terrified of this unknown future, and I was not allowing myself at all to trust God and to imagine myself in that place. I really wanted to go back to Egypt, or at least to Miami, where all of our ministry roles were well-defined and everyone knew what they were supposed to do. But here we were in this new place with the promised land right in front of us, and I was frozen in fear. I remember Clark's strong and steady words of encouragement saying, of course we don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but don't you think God is bigger than the odds? Don't you think we owe it to God and to ourselves to at least consider this and be faithful, to consider that God is calling us to this moment for a decision? Don't you think we should at least give it a try? Yep, he was my Caleb, and I'll explain who Caleb is later in our scripture text today, because he encouraged me, he encouraged us for to walk faithfully into the unknown future, confident that God was with us along the way. God had been with us. God was with us now. God would be with us in the future. Sometimes we just need a little encouragement from a friend, a family member, a stranger. Sometimes that's all we need. Other times we need to dig deep down into the reservoir of our faith and put our knees to, and our face to God and say, give me some guidance. So we said yes. 
and I am glad to return to you with the report that we joyfully and meaningfully served that congregation together for eight years. Friends, we're continuing our sermon series today, Return. And we're looking at the scripture where there are some spies that went into the promised land to bring back a report. The reconnaissance team has come home, returned with their report from the book of Numbers. So let's pause here with the book of Numbers and get our bearings. Now, if you are one of the 160 plus people who took the Bible study, Manna and Mercy with Roger Skoltz, then you may remember this quote, the Bible consists of stories within a story within a story. That is to say that the individual stories that make up the Bible are part of a larger story about Israel and the church. And those larger stories of Israel and the church are in turn a part of an even larger story about humanity and God's loving dealings with all of us throughout time. So today, as we are reflecting on this text, I want you to remember this is your story and my story as well. So let's look at the book of Numbers that Clyde read from. Really, what a dreadful name for a book, right? Because only if you are interested in math are you even going to open it. And then when you do, it's not very interesting because it starts right off with a census. Verse after verse after verse of numbers and tribes, and it's a census. So you skip ahead maybe to chapter 26, and oh, look, it's another census. Uh-huh, yeah, a military census. So you get the point. It's not the most interesting book, but that is how it gets its name from these two censuses, sensei, uh, you know, you get the point. So uh, another way we could talk about the book is a Hebrew calling of the book, which means in the wilderness. And that really perhaps is a better description of what's going on in the book of Numbers because it details the haphazard movement of the people of Israel in the wilderness from Mount Sinai after they've received the law of Moses to the plains of Moab. And it ends with the Israelites sitting on the edge of the promised land just prior to entering. So our text picks up today about a year after the exodus after Moses received the law, and God tells Moses to send 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, into the promised land and bring back a report. Because Moses wants to know what it's like. Are there people there? Do they live in cities? Does the land grow fruit and have trees on it? Those cities, are they fortified? What is it like? And so after 40 days, they return from spying on the land. And at first, the report is very, very good. Indeed, it is a land flowing with milk and honey. They bring back huge clusters of grape. They even bring back the produce to show everyone and let them taste the grapes. One of my seminary classmates, Richard Boyce, has written a commentary on the book of Numbers. And he reports that there's a disturbing turn of events with just one word. The faint-heartedness uh, that is so familiar to all of us begins to creep in when we hear the word, yet. Yet, the people who live in the land, they are really strong. And the towns, whew, they are fortified and very strong. Boyce writes, the entire forward motion of the story is suddenly placed in jeopardy and the whole expedition begins to unravel. 
because 10 of the 12 spies are filled with fear. They are filled with self-doubt, just like I was on the eve of making that decision to work with this church in Tallahassee. All of a sudden, the people of this land grow and grow so much in front of them, in their mind's eye anyway, that they become giants. And the Israelites in their own eyes become the size of grasshoppers. And this land of milk and honey all of a sudden becomes a land that will swallow up its inhabitants. And this unfavorable majority report takes us back to the old way of doing things, lifting up our voices in lamentation, dreaming of those good old days back in Egypt. And we are proposing, before we know it, a counter-expedition to the south. Yes, getting people out of Egypt was one thing, but getting Egypt out of the people was totally something else. But there is a minority report given by two of the spies, Caleb and Joshua. And they indeed counter the fearlessness with a bold affirmation of Yahweh's guidance into the land. Just read on a little farther. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land more than bread for us. Their protection is removed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear. Caleb's words are meant to encourage the Israelites. And I think they're meant to encourage us today to walk bravely into the future with the confidence that God is with us. This is our story. This is a nation-shaping story, and it is a call for God's people to be fully committed to God. Caleb and Joshua had what some folks call remembering encouragement. They could look back over their lives, and they could remember that they had been released from captivity. They had been given the law, and they had been made a people together. And they were convinced that God would be able to do the same thing in the future. They stood firm on those promises. Caleb and Joshua, they never said there weren't giants. They just believed that God would be with them and they would prevail. We're going to have giants, friends. We're going to have things that seem insurmountable. But God is with us. And we are with one another. And we can prevail. They had a different perspective. They remembered that this was the same land that God had promised long ago to Abraham. And those promises were more power than the physical circumstances that they were looking at in front of them. Their faith told them that anything was possible with God. They seemed fearless. Now, to be clear, fear serves an important point in our lives at different times. It's a good thing to have. Uh, It's an appropriate response in certain settings. But fear in itself is not a sin, but it can become sinful. And what I mean by that is I think it becomes sinful when our fears squelch out all the happiness and joy in our lives. We are just so consumed with fear. When the fear is so great, we lose our confidence in ourselves and in one another and in who we are as a people. When we turn to angry outbursts and anxiety-driven actions that make the situation worse, instead of turning to our faith and looking those giants 
in the eyes. We all have giants in our lives. We do sometimes feel like grasshoppers. Perhaps you fear, if you're a young adult, choosing a college that is out of this hometown. Or perhaps you have heard at work that they are downsizing. Perhaps you're fearful to take a new job or maybe a ministry job here in the church because you don't yet feel equipped to do so. Perhaps you're fearful of a layoff at work, and if that's the case, how are you going to make that budget, especially after that divorce? Or maybe you're fearful to start a new relationship or a different way of being in relationship. There are a multitude of things that we fear. We fear the lump in our neck, the our back. We fear the neighbor down the street, the loneliness that we feel in our hearts when we stop long enough to really listen to what's going on inside of ourselves. The loneliness we feel can only be faced sometimes when we stop and turn it over to God. For fear for too many of us, seems to have taken a hundred-year lease on the building next door and set up shop. What about as a church? What huge hurdles do you feel like we face at Hyde Park? How are we going to get to the promised land that God is calling us to? How can we best live out our mission and vision together, friends? You might be saying, gosh, well, there have been a lot of transition here lately. Mm-hmm. It's true. And this new guy, McGray, I think he's going to be awesome, but I don't yet really know him, so I'm kind of wondering. And, oh, that downtown portico, this new initiative of ours to meet the needs of the people in the community and, and spread God's love in that place to be an extension of our campus. I don't know. I'm, I'm feeling a little scared, maybe like a grasshopper. Hmm. But, oh, ye of little faith, of course, I believe we can do this if we faithfully seek God's face together. If we join hands and work together in the same direction, we are a powerful force, the people of God, indeed. Because this story, if it is a story within a story, if this nation-shaping story is our story, then we can trust the promises of the past and know that God is walking with us into the future wherever we feel that we are being led. We just need to step away from the fear and grab hold of the hope that is ours together. Max Lucado once said, Fear may fill your world, but it doesn't have to fill your heart. I think in times like these, we need to be Caleb's to one another. We need to encourage one another. Sometimes that's all we need. We need to stand firm and boldly proclaim that minority report that God is here, friends, and calling us to the future together. We are to remember that it's not the absence of fear that sets us apart as people of faith, but it is what we, are, what we do in the midst of that fear that makes us different. I was reminded of a quote by Martin Luther King Jr. who said, Faith is taking that first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. Wouldn't it be nice if faith and not fear was our automatic response to any threat in our lives? Faith and not fear. Friends, believe me, I'm preaching to myself this morning, so if this is ringing true, I 
I get it. Faith and not fear, the automatic response to any threat in our lives. I think if we could do this, it would change your life. It would change this church. It would change this city. It would change this nation. And it would change the world. Caleb and Joshua are great examples of how to respond in fearful times. Caleb and Joshua are calling all of us to return to a deeper faith in God, remembering that God is greater than all the odds, remembering that God is inviting us to take our place in human history and to walk bravely into the future with the sure knowledge that God has been with us, is with us, and will be with us. The promise ancient story from the book of Numbers is that we can do it, friends. I believe we can do it together. Joshua and Caleb reflected on the future, and they told a frightened people, and perhaps they're speaking across many, many generations as they say to us this morning, the land that we went through is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us to this land flowing with milk and honey, Only do not fear. The Lord is with you. Amen. Will you pray with me, friends? Oh, holy and gracious God, we we admit that sometimes those giants seem overwhelming and as grasshoppers, we are fearful of being squished at any time. But we thank you for this reminder from Caleb and Joshua Two who presented a minority report of faithfulness. We want to be totally sold out disciples of yours. We want to be your people in this place at this time. We pray that you would take away our fear and fill us with faith. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, as God's people, let us continue our worship by receiving our tithes, our offerings, and our gifts.